you have your Bible today, though, I want to talk to you about when evil abounds. And uh, it's found in the book of 2 Chronicles. If you'll go back to the Old Testament, the book of 2 Chronicles, if you got the right Bible, it's on page 388. Just kidding. If yours isn't like mine, I can't help you, but it's 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at verse 19, chapter 19 and chapter 20. I have a verse that summarizes it, though, in Romans 7. You don't have to turn there. Romans 7, 21. Let me quote it briefly for you. Every time I try to do good, guess what abounds? Evil. Every time I try to do right, evil abounds. Now, let me set the stage while you're diving through the Old Testament for 2 Chronicles. <clears throat> Jehoshaphat was a great king. Matter of fact, uh, there had been a lot of wicked kings in the nation of Israel. And Jehoshaphat was doing a really good job in his reign. He loved the Lord. He only had one fault, though. He joined himself to a wicked king through marriage. And, uh, well, that wicked king always tried to lead him astray. And in chapter, eight, uh, chapter 18, what happened was Jehoshaphat had joined himself in battle with Ahab. Now, before Jehoshaphat would go into battle, he went back and he asked, he said, is there not a man of God to make sure we should do this? And uh, you may be familiar with this story. And they went and all these men of God came and it was this big public spectacle of Ahab's men of God. And uh, Jehoshaphat looked at all this charades that was literally taking place there. And he said, but is there not one man of God left in all of Jerusalem and Ahab said well there is one but I have him in prison because he never says anything good about me and uh, so he said well you go and get him bring him here and so they went and got Micaiah brought him out of prison came out of prison and said uh, he said oh it's good he went went along with the rest of them was saying but Ahab knew that he was lying because Ahab never did what God wanted him to do, so he knew that it was something else. And so Micaiah turned and he looked at him and he said, I tell you what, if you go off to battle Ahab, you'll not come back. And boy, Ahab got mad, put him in jail, didn't give him any bread, just gave him bread and water. He said, I'll deal with you when I get back. And here's what Micaiah said. He said, if you come back, then I'm not a man of God. So Ahab went and he, put, he disguised himself, the Bible says. He put on a costume so that nobody could tell he was a king, that he was Ahab. I love what the King James says right here. It says, but when they were in battle, a certain man at random drew a bow at venture. He just drew it randomly. You know, in other words, he had it pulled to fire it on somebody, and instead of releasing it upon somebody, it, 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 he just released it up in the air. So he picks up an, a bow and an arrow, just not even looking, shoots it up in the air, and that sucker is divinely guided. I'm talking about, listen, forget GPS. Or it would be God's positioning here on that era. And it took that era and it struck Ahab right between the shoulders. A random era in a man who was clothed hiding from God. Son, you, you can't hide from God. And that's not my message, so I'm going to move on. So... They win the battle, but Ahab dies, and Jehoshaphat comes home. 
That's where we're picking up today in chapter 18. Now look at what it says in chapter 18 right here. I mean, chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 1 says, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned home in peace. All was well, isn't it? I mean, he did what was right. He consulted God before he went, checked the box. He went to battle. He came home in peace. Check, check, check. It's amazing how we want to formulate our walk with God down to a checklist. And so here he goes, but, 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 but there was a problem for Jehoshaphat. There was a, a preacher, a man of God, a prophet is what it was in the Old Testament. A prophet's responsibility was to speak on behalf of God to man. Every king had one. A lot of them they put in prison like Micaiah and that kind of stuff. But this passage of scripture, he comes to Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat's coming home in peace, victorious. I've done the right thing. I sought God. I can be happy now. But he gets home and there's this hellfire and brimstone preacher. It gets him off to the side. And look at what he says. He says, boy, you have done wrong. He says, do you help the wicked and love those who hate God. Now, I don't, you may not write in your Bible. That's your priority. But I would underline that scripture because that's heavy. Do you help the wicked and prosper those who hate your God? Now, I could get tied up on that in a while, for a while, with what's happening in our world right now with all the chaos that's running rampant around the globe in the Muslim faith, people killing Christians left and right, but then we have governments like our own that want to come back and be pacifist about it and, and want to bless and prosper people that are just doing wrong, so I'll move on because that's a soapbox. I won't get on it, but I could park there a while. But when Jehoshaphat did that, there was one man of God that came back and he said, do you bless those who do wrong? And help them prosper, the wicked. Now, let's go a little bit further. And here's what it says. Because of this, the Lord's wrath has come upon you. What, whoa. But wait a minute. How did the wrath of God come upon me? I checked all the boxes. I sought him before I went to battle. And then, and then it says, however, I have some good news. Well, that's good news, isn't it? You have found he is... However, some good is found in you, for you have removed the poles and the, the idols from places that God had dedicated. So the previous kings had went in and they had set up foreign gods, demigods, <clears throat> on the mountains and the high places. When Jehoshaphat was king, he was a good king, according to the world's standards and the church's standards, if we could measure by what churches think would be a good king. And so he came back and he removed the demigods, but he didn't take them away from the high places. And he aligned himself with the world. That was what Ahab was a picture of, the world. Now, so that's what's happened. Now, here's what happens to Jehoshaphat. Let me summarize verses 4 through 11, because this is a long story, and we're not going to read them all, but I want you to go home and read the whole story. So he comes back, and here's what Jehoshaphat does. He goes back and he begins to appoint judges for God's people to mediate and to make things right with God. 
See, Jehoshaphat was a, was a true believer because he reminded me a lot of the Apostle Peter in the New Testament. There were some days Peter couldn't do anything right, and there were some days he couldn't do anything wrong. You ever felt like that in your life? I have. That's why I think I, I remind myself of the Apostle Peter. Some days, I mean, God's saying, boy, you're right on. The next day, he's saying, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. So anyway. Jehoshaphat some days couldn't do anything. He did everything right. Some days he did everything wrong. Jehoshaphat knew what repentance was. So when the man of God confronted him, he heard the word from God, and he acted on it. All right, so that's where we are. So the first thing I want you to write down about this passage of Scripture, when evil abounds, is the courage. Courage. I'm going to tell you today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that it takes courage to do what's right. I'm going to let that hang for a minute. Because anybody can do what's wrong. It takes courage for political leaders to rise up and take a stand and say, no, this is what's right or wrong. Not live in the gray area, but it's either right or it's either wrong. We live in a world today that says there is no black and white. The whole world is gray. There is no right or wrong. If every man could just do right in his own eyes. Now, now what, what Jehoshaphat had the courage to do was he had the courage to make the course correction. Now that takes courage. It takes courage for leaders to stand up and make the right course correction. But I'm going to go a little bit further. It takes courage for husbands to make course correction. It takes courage for wives to make course correction when the husband's unwilling to correct the course. When the husband doesn't want anything to do with God, it takes courage. Teenagers, it takes courage for you to make the course correction and follow the voice of God when your mama and your daddy and none of your friends do. It takes courage. It takes courage. To do what's right. Any old body can do what's wrong. I remember in the 90s, they had a great bumper sticker. Some of you can't remember that because you weren't there. But in the 90s, way back then, they had a bumper sticker and it said, Real men love Jesus. And I thought, boy, that's a good summarization. Because you don't have to be very courageous to mock God. The world will be your cheerleader. You don't have to be very courageous to stand up. And mock God or, or ridicule God or use his name in vain. You don't have to be very courageous. Can I tell you, you don't have to be very courageous to drink alcohol or shoot needles up your arms and get high on crack. You know, I mean, the world will make sure it's easy for you to do that. You don't have to be very courageous to look at pornography. You don't have to be very courageous to get involved in relationships you shouldn't be involved in. But I'll tell you something. You have to be courageous to stand up and say, I don't need your drug because I'm high on something else. That's why people shoot up and drink up and everything else up because they were low so they wanted to get high. Well, Jesus found you at your lowest moment, and if you'll let him, he'll pick you up and fill you up from the uttermost to the guttermost. Now, the interesting thing about this today is that God wants you to be courageous. However, the majority of people in our country today are cowards, and they're not willing to stand up. That's why many people have resorted to, to 
uh, internet church and that kind of stuff because it's safe in your living room. You don't have to get off the sofa. I can just love Jesus, drink my hot chocolate. I can have my favorite coffee in my pajamas with my slippers on. And I don't have to engage people. I know preachers like that, Pastor Ralph. I mean, some of them say, I love the ministry, but it's people I hate. I love the story of the guy who got up that morning and said, I'm not going to church today. He said, I'm not going. I'm tired of those people. I'm angry at them. I'm mad at them. I don't want anything to do with them. And his wife said, you got to go. He said, give me one good reason I have to go. She said, you're the pastor. Some of you will catch that a little bit later. It takes courage to rise up. It takes courage to when you know you've done wrong to make the course correction. It doesn't take courage to go in circles. It takes courage to make an about face and go the other direction. It takes courage to turn your back on something and go in the other direction. I'm going to tell you today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, there is no courage in doing what the world's doing. Anybody can do that. Just wake up and go to your office and the world will sweep you away with it. It doesn't take courage to go and get in the bed with somebody that you work with. It takes courage to say, no, I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to stand fast. I'm going to cling to God. It takes courage to be a woman of God, to Rise up and say, I think more of God's plan for my life than anything the world could ever have to offer. Well, that may be easy preaching, but not easy listening to, so I'll move on. But Jehoshaphat made the courageous turn. He did what was right. Many of you have made a courageous turn last week. You said, you know what, I'm going to rise up and I'm going to go through a time of prayer and fasting to seek God. Never in the life of Family of Grace Church, we do this every year, never has there been so many people made that stand as has made it this year. Over a third of our congregation is going through a time of prayer and fasting. I'm telling you, if you don't, Pastor Ralph said this morning in prayer, if you don't think your flesh has control over you, just start depriving it of chocolate. Everything you see becomes an M&M. Amen. Everything you see becomes a T-bone steak, and you're wanting it. The pull of the flesh. Now, here's the interesting thing. And is that you're ta you've taken that courageous stand to seek God. You, to find out what God's purpose is for your life. And you've taken that stand. Now, I want you to know something. Every time you go to do right, Paul said evil is going to abound. And if you're not careful, Paul defined it correctly in Romans chapter, in chapter 7. He said what you'll end up doing is the very thing that you don't want to do and doing the very thing, never doing what you want to do. Because evil abounds. Oh yes, there's victories that come through prayer and fasting. There's intimacy that comes through prayer and fasting. But there's warfare that comes through prayer and fasting. Just about the time you set your face towards a holy God, the devil will become to, to, to move, on, move on in your house. I'll give you a good example. As many of you know, the second day of prayer and fasting is the worst, some of the worst ones. You're trying to dethrone King's stomach. I came home hungry. Praying, seeking God, already sick of everything I could eat. And there it was on my bar. Sister Elaine brought me a whole pan full of cabbage rolls. She brings me those things once a year. I tell you, they taste like heavenly manna. 
And I'm like, oh my, what do I do with this? Hard work she put into that. What do I do with it? Well, at that point, I could have said, well, I'm just two days in. Uh, nobody will ever know it but my wife, and nobody will believe her. She, I, I could say she didn't see correctly. Or I can stay true to what I committed to. Now, I tried to figure out every way I could salvage them, and I think I have a good plan for in 22 days after that, you know. But here's the point. When you set your face to do something, the, all hell will assail you. Point number one. Here we go. Point number two in this passage of Scripture. Jehoshaphat set his face to do something, and then came the calamity. For me, on Tuesday, it was egg rolls. Uh, not just any old egg roll. Cabbage egg rolls. I mean, big, big ones. And that sauce that she puts on top of them. My gosh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I know that doesn't excite you because you never had them. But if you ever do, you'll be knocking her door down. The calamity. What happened to Jehoshaphat? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Chapter 19, chapter 20 and verse 1. After this, after he was courageous, the Moabites, the Ammonites came together with the Minyanites, and they came to fight against Jehoshaphat. People came out and told Jehoshaphat a vast multitude from beyond the Dead Sea and from Edom has come to fight against you, and they are ready. They are already at Hazaron. And look at this. Jehoshaphat was afraid. Don't tell me when you go to do right, evil won't abound. Verse 3 says, Jehoshaphat was afraid. The first thing you have to do be, be, to be victorious is to be honest. To be honest. Jehoshaphat was afraid. And look at this. So he resolved to seek the face of the Lord. Circle that word in your Bible, resolve. I'm telling you, Jehoshaphat gave us an example of what to do, what not to do, and then what to do. I'm telling you, the thing about Jehoshaphat was he remembered something from his upbringing. When I don't know what to do and I don't know where else to go, I run back to the mercy seat of God. The Bible says Jehoshaphat resolved in his heart to seek God. You can't resolve in your heart to find the answer in the multitude of men. You can't resolve to find the answer in your horoscopes or in your cereal bowl or anywhere else. You've got to resolve to run to the mercy seat when you forget what to do. Go back to the one who created you. We're beginning our new sermon series next week on the blueprint. You have a purpose. God has the plan. I know many times in building things, anytime you forget what you were supposed to be doing, the carpenter, the builder, always goes back to a table where there's these blueprints that are laid open, and he begins to search through them to look for the answer. I'm telling you today, when he can't find the answer, when the building can't find the answer on the architect, he pulls out his cell phone, and he calls up the architect who drew the drawings. I'm telling you that God drew the drawings of your life. God has the plan for your life. The devil has a counterfeit. I'm telling you today that when you purpose in your heart to be courageous, calamity is coming. It's not if it'll come, it's when it's coming. But I want you to know in the authority of the Word of God that you can resolve in your heart to run back to the architect, the master craftsman, and say, where is the answer? 
I remember an old hymn I used to sing when I was a boy. I am resolved no longer to linger, harmed by the world. Sin's delight. I look to things that are higher, things that are nobler. That's what's alert my sight. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will run to thee. Jehoshaphat went running back to the mercy seat. He knew where his bread was buttered. He knew where the answer would come from. I want you to know today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if you have resolved to seek the face of God, the purpose of God for your life, and the enemy is coming with you with all calamity, run to the mercy seat. Run to the mercy seat. He ran to the mercy seat, resolved to seek the face of the Lord. And look at what he did. Oh, my goodness. He proclaimed a fast. The king, the leader, proclaimed a fast. And from the throne to the lowest in the kingdom, they sought the face of God. Now, it says in verse 5, Then Jehoshaphat stood in front of the whole assembly. He went in front of the nation and gave a state of the union, if you will. And here's what he said. Lord God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? And do you not rule over all kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand. And no one can withstand against you. Are you not our God who drove out all the inhabitants of the land before your people? Israel, and who gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. That's important. Your friend. They have lived in the land where they have built you a sanctuary. And your name and If disaster comes on us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before the temple and before you, for your name is in the temple. We will cry out to you because of our distress, and you will hear and deliver. Now look at verse 10. Stay with me. This is important. I want you to hear what he said. Now hear, now God, hear the Ammonites, the Moabites, and all the inhabitants of the Mount Seir. Now this is important. Look at this. You did not let Israel invade. Now, that's important. You did not let him invade them when Israel came to the land of Egypt. But Israel turned away from them and did not destroy them because you said not to. Look now how they're coming to repay us by coming to drive us out of your important possession that you gave us as an inheritance, our God, Will you not judge them? For we are powerless before the vast multitude that comes to fight against us. We do not know what to do. Wait for it. Wait for it. So we look to you. Oh my. Did that, did it just say that? I don't know what to do. So I look to you. Now, here's what Jehoshaphat did in the midst of the calamity. In the midst of the calamity, 
he renewed his commitment. He doubled down. If it had been a poker table, he pushed all his chips in. And he said, sink, swim, live or die. I'm going down, clinging to the mercy seat. Now notice, let's talk about what he did not do. <clears throat> he did not call the assembly and say, God, why are you picking on me? God, you really don't love me. Now, Lord, you know I'm the only good king Israel's had in a long time. You know, Lord, I'm the one that tore down the demigods. He didn't say, now, Lord, you know all these things, and he went through that whole process. He didn't say all that. No, here's what he did. He went back and he reminded God of his promises. Of God's promises that he made to his people. Boy, isn't that interesting. He reminded God of his own word. And he basically said, Lord, if I go down, I am going down with you. His commitment was to run back to what he knew. And that's exactly what he did. And then last of all, we see the conquering. Look right here, if you will, in this passage of Scripture. In all, verse 13, all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants and their wives and their children in the midst of the congregation. And the Spirit of the Lord came. And skip with me, if you will, and, and down to verse 15. He said, listen carefully, all of Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Here's the man of God again. The man of God comes back with the word of God for the people of God. He comes back and he says, do not be afraid or discouraged because of the vast multitude. For the battle is not theirs, it's yours. Tomorrow you go down against them. And you will see them coming. And here's where you will find them. At the end of the valley facing the wilderness of Jeruel. You do not have to fight this battle. But what you have to do is go and position yourselves. And stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. For he is with you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or dismayed or discouraged because tomorrow go out to face them for the Lord is with you. So Jehoshaphat bowed his face to the ground and he worshiped God. And the Levites stood up and they praised them. Verse 20, in the morning they got up early and went out to the wilderness and it was just as God had said. Because he was willing to renew his commitment to what he knew, God. His purpose and his plan. God said, Jehoshaphat, you're right. You can't conquer that battle. Your buddy Ahab's dead. He can't come help you. But you've come back to the right one. Because I control all nations. I control all kingdoms. All I need you to do is go out there and stand on the battlefield and watch me from heaven defeat forces on earth. And a valley of despair became the valley of blessing. And that valley of despair became the, known as the valley of Jehoshaphat. Because Jehoshaphat rose up and he sought the face of God. Today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't care what's going on in the world, in your life, nothing is too great for our God. I don't care what's happening in Washington. I don't care what's happening in the churches all across the United States, what's happening in your house, what's happening in your life. Will you rise up? Will you be the victor or will you believe the lie of the devil? Will you allow the valley of despair to be your final resting place? Today, maybe you're sitting there at home and 
it's safe, it's comfortable. You know what to expect. But you know, you can't engage and you can't have real life relationships until you put yourself where people are. Virtual is great until you want intimacy. And then you must connect. I want to encourage you. Wherever you are, wherever you're watching us from, find a church that believes the Word of God, preaches the Word of God, and try and see if God won't bless you. And take your walk with Him to a deeper level.